Hello, welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am your host, Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension here in sunny Macomb, Illinois, where we are at the tail end of February with dreams of spring in our head. And today we're going to be talking about cover crops. And I am joined by my colleague, Dwayne Friend, down in Jacksonville, Illinois. Dwayne, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on again, Chris. It's been a few months, but uh, glad to be back on. Yeah, we're glad to have you. And uh, just to to remind listeners, Dwayne, what's your title with uh, Extension? Uh, The formal title is Environmental Stewardship and Energy. Uh, but really, the, it's it's more just natural resources management in general. You know, we're becoming kind of a rare breed here in West Central Illinois. Uh, it's me, you, and then also our colleague Ken Johnson, who's been on the podcast several times. Um, and but but we we handle a lot of things that come into the office. Uh, Everything from kind of the small to large farm issues to Ken handles a lot of insect questions. I do a lot of landscaping um, questions. Do you, what kind of uh, questions, if someone, you know, was listening and they wanted to call into the office, uh, what, what were some things that you would say you'd, you'd specialize in and you, you like to answer? Well, I would say, especially during the summertime, one of the big things that I get questions on is pond, farm pond management, and that'll probably be starting here. I'll start getting questions for that here in about a month or so when the algae starts coming on. Uh, but most of it is dealing with uh, weed management in farm ponds and uh, a little bit on the fish stocking, but it's mainly weed management and um, get lots of questions for those, so we try to address those uh, as best we can. And then I do get some questions on the, the soil health side of things, probably not as much as I would like, but um, uh, I do get some along those those avenues as well here in the next month or so. And and that's why we're having this podcast about cover cops, so we can try to promote more soil health good management practices. And really the, the first question that a lot of folks have are, I guess, um, you know, why why should we even look at cover crops? What's what do they help us with with the garden or if you have a small farm you know what's the point okay you know and this is one of those things that uh, and we're going to be focusing on more of a, a garden situation uh, for our talk today but mm-hmm. a lot of folks may have have been hearing about the the use of cover crops in crop fields and uh, you know the the when the a lot of the the media talk about this it makes it sound like it's this new and upcoming thing you know, this is one of those things that it's kind of that term, what goes around comes around. My dad did cover crops back when I was growing up. Uh, he put in a lot of sweet clover and uh, and did some rye and those kind of things. And then in the 70s, we kind of got away from all that. Um, and now we're coming back to it because we're, we're seeing a lot of the benefits of having that, not only in terms of erosion control, but uh, potential for weed suppression, like for winter annuals or those uh, early springtime weeds. And um, we've got the, the benefits of, of at least lessening that surface compaction that may be in, in some soils, uh, adding organic matter into the soil. And one of the other benefits that probably a lot of folks back decades ago wouldn't have known about, but it's something that that we do um, know about and are aware of now is the fact that all of these living roots that are present for as long as we've got living roots, we're keeping up mycorrhizal fungi populations. 
and mycorrhizal fungi is a, is a type of fungi that works in conjunction with root systems. You'll find it in crop fields, you'll find it in gardens, you'll find it in timber settings. The type of fungi might vary slightly in how they work, but they're essentially doing the same thing. That They work to be an extension of the root system, so they bring in water and nutrients from a farther distance than the root system can get to. In turn, they get some sugars from the plant, they get some energy, but the other thing they do is bring in water and nutrients that the plant needs. And this is just something that's been going on for millennia, uh, and even longer than that. Uh, and as long as we've got those populations there, those any type of plants you put in there uh, that, that work with mycorrhizal fungi are going to benefit from that. So the more of that we can have present, um, the, the better plants are going to be come springtime. So we're really coming at this, we're, we're using a systems approach to soil management, like, like how you mentioned. Uh, th this is how these plants evolved within these soils and you know in our some of our conventional gardening practices you know we grow our tomatoes and peppers and then we pull the plants out and then for I don't know what five six months out of the year we have these so to speak empty soils mm -hmm. so and, and, and I deal with that a lot with um, you know home gardeners coming in and saying oh I have just terrible weed problems and things like that so this is a, a really interesting take on it and something that's again not new no you know and the, having the weeds there i mean you you do have a living root system there so in terms of that that living root system yeah you it may not be the type of plant that you want but uh in some respects it's actually still doing some benefits mm -hmm. as long as you don't let it go to seed uh but having that living root system and and having that cover on there uh, to to kind of help things along. Now, on the other hand, you may have some folks that because they don't like the weeds, they keep that that ground fallow after that crop is out, after those vegetables are out. And I can show up pictures of uh, a study that was done uh, where they did a, a situation where they kept uh, some plots fallow, in other words, just kept it constantly tilled, and, and areas right next to them where they allowed things to grow and then they put sweet corn in those plots and you could tell exactly where those fallow subplots were uh, at uh, tasseling time because in those fallow areas that tasseling was almost non-existent in the areas where there was uh, some living growth allowed to, to stay on the ground or in the soil uh, the the tasseling was coming on strongly so uh, that was always a very good visual to me in, in terms of what those benefits are in, in terms of leaving a, a, some type of living plant uh, in the soil because you think about it, having bare soil is not what nature does. So, you know, why would you want to do that uh, in, an, in another setting? Yeah, I think the saying I always use is uh, nature is modest and she tries to cover herself if, you know, where there's a, a void there in in the landscape or in the soil and so the thing with cover crops is now we are kind of dictating or, or just trying to say okay instead of growing a henbit or dandelion let's uh, let's throw down some cover crop seed and help to to restore that relationship with the plants and the soil and kind of work it in with our crop rotation system exactly and it depends on what 
each individual wants to do. If it's that weed suppression, you may be looking at certain types of cover crops, maybe some uh, that do overwinter and, and uh, will, will be around in the springtime. Other folks may be looking at more of a uh, situation where they just want something uh, through the fall to get them through the fall and then uh, they just want to be able to to go ahead and especially if it's going to be a, an early uh, early season type of, of planting that they're going to be putting in maybe they don't want that living growth there in the springtime but one of the other benefits from having that springtime growth especially if you're looking at something like a rye cover crop um, if it's done correctly you can um, crimp that rye and it will lay down and essentially become uh, create uh, what's known as a stale seed bed and the effects of weed control then throughout the following year can be pretty substantial now it's not going to keep all the weeds from coming through but it will slow it down and um, you know we can talk here in a little bit about what can be done for weed control when you have that type of cover crop situation yeah, and I, I'll say, you know, for most of the, the home gardening situations, um, you know, you use the, the term crimp, which is to kind of, you use a kind of a large roller, which, uh, or, or you could even use like a, a tool that has a bar across and you just step on it and, and you lay the plants down essentially and you crimp it by breaking that vascular tissue within that plant, um, usually at flowering, uh, right before you know, it sets flower. Um, uh, but, but for my situation in my small garden, I, I have hand cultivated, uh, rye situations, you know, it's small enough where I can do it by hand. The scale works out and it's laid down and it's created a, a pretty amazing weed barrier and actually experimented with three different raised bed systems. One was cover cropped. One was amended with peat and perlite and the other was amended with compost now the peat and perlite just dried out so quickly it was so well drained it didn't didn't have a very hospitable place for the crops the compost one did okay i would say it performed you know as as good as anyone but the cover crop one i never had to weed it and we did sweet potatoes in all three beds that that year and the sweet potatoes in the cover crop bed were just phenomenal they just mm -hmm. grew like crazy and so after that, I became a believer in cover crops, and I use them every single year now. And so, Dwayne, you've also been working with cover crops uh, in terms of extension, studying them, and, and looking how their performance is. Tell me a bit about this uh, research that you're doing with cover crops. Well, this is kind of a takeoff on some studies that I had seen from a, a integrated pest management vegetable specialist out in Maryland that had done a five-year study on looking at the, the uh, looking at the aspect of a no-till garden um, using cover crops and and not applying any chemicals so and and then looking at that in terms of weed control so a no-till garden with cover crops uh, and organic weed control and uh, they did a five-year study of of that and uh, they had a they had pretty good sized plots so they did use a rolling crimper to do this and they did uh, different studies where they they had different plots with uh, cereal rye, uh, rye and hairy vetch, some with just vetch alone, um, I think one with oats and then of course they did the control where there were no cover crops used and um, when they when they did the crimping again they they crimped that rye down uh, and then the other any other living uh, 
cover crops that were around in the spring and then planted directly into that. And um, they still had some, some weed escapes. So what they did later on in the season was just take a uh, weed barrier, like 50-foot strips, uh, put it in between the rows and leave it there for two weeks at a time. And then they would pull it up, move it down the row, and anchor it back down. And what they found was um, even a couple of months after they had put that weed barrier down and moved it onto another spot, the weeds in those areas were very, I won't say they were completely non-existent, but it was, was pretty close to that. It was just amazing how well that, that weed barrier worked in terms of cooking any growth that was there. And uh, so what I wanted to do was essentially see how well that would work uh, in Illinois, and I wanted to try to, to use as much of a what a back, backyard gardener would do. So I didn't want to do anything special in terms of equipment. Like you had mentioned about the crimper, what I used was uh, I just got a, a four-foot piece of treated uh, two-by-four wood, got a three-foot piece of angle iron, screwed that onto the uh, two-by-four, got a piece of rope, and so I used that for the crimping of the rye. Uh, just you know, going along by hand and foot, um, crimping it, and we did that right at uh, the point where the rye was headed out. That's the ideal time to do that crimping. Laid the the, the rye down actually very well, uh, and and I should mention that this is this is in the second year of the study that we've been doing. So the last year was the first year that we had tried it, and we put in um, we seeded broadcast seeded. Um, at first, tillage radishes, and um, so that was would have been done in the fall of 2017, and then uh, we did that in September, mid-September. About a month later, we came in and hand-seeded the cereal rye into these plots. Um, the tillage radishes uh, did very well. It was a dry fall, but they came on very strong, and uh, it took about three frosts for them to finally die out in the in that fall, but they eventually did. The the cereal rye, of course, overwintered, came on in the springtime, and with it being a late spring last year, we didn't have to do the crimping, or didn't get to do the crimping, until uh, late April, early May. But once that was done, we planted uh, uh, potatoes uh, in, in the plots, and uh, then later on, we did the weed barrier, and uh, found out that, yes, it worked very well here as, uh, also. Uh, you leave the weed barrier down for a couple weeks at a time. It cooks the weeds underneath that. And uh, then we would pick it up, move it on to another area. And, um, yeah, there would have to be some weeding done in between the rows. But otherwise, it, it was really, really good in terms of, of weed control overall. Uh, now, the following the, uh, the harvest of the potatoes, uh, and you know this this is probably uh, regular gardeners would would do a more uh, studious job, I guess you'd say, of of weed control. We kind of let weeds grow a little bit later on in the fall, and um, when we went back in to hand seed the cover crops this past fall, uh, we found out very quickly that even in the areas where we had let it get a little bit weedy and we had mowed it down to to be very very little above ground growth, 
just doing a broadcast seeding of the Curva crops can't compete very well with any existing growth. So one of the things we did discover is if you're going to do another broadcast seeding and you're, you're into the second or third year of this system, you're going to have to put the weed barrier down again ahead of time and kill out any weeds that may be present uh, before you do the broadcast seeding. But in the areas where we did have uh, some relatively uh, relatively little weed growth, uh, the cover crops did, did do very well. And uh, so this next year we'll be coming in and, and continuing with this program. We're going to do it for about three, three years altogether. And uh, this year we're going to put in sweet corn and see how that works. But, you know, is it feasible? Uh, absolutely. Am I going to tell someone that the first time you do it, there's going to be angels and butterflies flying over your head and everything's <laughs> going to be perfect? No, it's something that, that someone's going to have to work with a little bit. But if, if someone is actually wanting to go that route, doing a, an organic system uh, in terms of weed control and using cover crops in it, can it work? Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're learning a new system of, of doing things. It's, uh, so it's just a shift in practices and so there's always a learning curve to that as I found out and with the what you mentioned having to put the the weed fabric down before seeding back again in the later in the season I, I know a lot of uh, small fruit and vegetable growers in our neck of the woods they actually use silage tarps in um, they might rotate out a summer crop um, or in the garden or somewhere and they'll put down a silage tarp uh, and, and again, a, a weed fabric would work the exact same mm -hmm. way, and they put it down for a couple weeks. It suppresses the weeds and actually encourages germination of some weed seeds. They pop up only to be met by a, a tarp, and so then they die back because they can't get enough sunlight. And then they pull that off, and sometimes, usually the ones I'm talking to, they are planting in a cool season crop. But it would be just as easy for them to come in with a cover crop and just sow a new cover crop and have that help hold that over the winter months until they're ready for next spring. Mm. Yep, and uh, I guess the other thing that that obviously would be uh, something that that someone would have to pay attention to is if you have a really dry fall, it's going to be much harder if you're just broadcast seeding those seeds uh, for it to germinate. But if there's what we found so far, at least in the these first two falls, is if there's any moisture at all, uh, those seeds will germinate very well if they've got any seed-to-soil contact. Yeah, and I've also found out if you are doing this in your garden, say you have a spouse or someone who helps you out in the garden, I did this this past year where we have our extension food donation garden in Macomb, and I seeded pretty much underseeded our tomatoes and peppers and all of that. Uh, the season was winding down and I just seeded underneath those actively growing crops. I threw some seed down there and a couple weeks later the volunteers were out thought that there were weeds just going crazy in the beds <laughs> and they pulled them all out. Oh no. <laughs> so make sure you people are aware that you're doing cover crops. Uh, good signage is always your friend. Um, yes. Especially if you have know someone who is um, a voracious weeder who can't stand to see something a plant out of place, and that's yep, yeah, that's that's a mindset. If it's uh well, and and you know, it's, to them it's a it's a plant out of place, so it's a weed to to some folks. So, yeah, you have to you have to change that mindset in some cases. Exactly. Yep. So I still do have a a, a couple of uh, oats that made it in the cucumber beds, but other than that, yeah, I 
and didn't didn't quite work out this year. Worked great the two years prior though. So, um, so Dwayne, let's we've talked about you know the the reason to be high cover crops and and your work with cover crops. Let's dive in a little bit into the specific uh, different types of cover crops. And most people approach approach me like I was at a actually at a, a friend's house the other night. And they said, oh, I would love to garden, but I don't own a tiller. And you know, I feel like there, there could be some ways to access gardening, even if you don't want to make the investment of buying, say, like a, a tiller. You know, can cover crops be used to, to help you build soil in, in this sense? Uh, several cover crops, uh, such as the tillage radishes, uh, have been shown to, to increase organic matter in the in the soil and one of the the benefits of things like the tillage radishes uh, if you if you do have a little bit of uh, surface compaction in there those types of plants because they kind of punch down through the soil will help lessen that type of surface compaction so in terms of not having to go in there and completely work up the soil one of the the other benefits of cover crops in general is uh, and, and it's due to that having that mycorrhizal populations in there of, of those fungal strands is those that fungi oozes off material called glomalin that actually helps bind soil particles together. And this is a substance that was discovered, wasn't discovered until the late 1990s, but that if you ever pick up a little piece of soil, and a lot of folks think that's one piece of soil. Well, that's actually millions and millions of individual soil particles that have essentially glommed together. And the substance that allows that to happen is given off by that mycorrhizal fungi. So the more of that you have, the better soil structure you have. And that provides spaces for roots to penetrate through. It provides space for water to penetrate through. And the other benefit is the more soil structure you have, the harder it is for water to wash away soil particles. When you've got the larger pieces of soil in there, that crumb structure, that granular structure on top, those larger pieces don't wash away as quickly as individual particles do. And um, some folks may have seen a, a little uh, experiment where uh, someone will take a piece of soil from a no-till field that's maybe been in, uh, hasn't been tilled for multiple years, taken one from a heavily tilled field, you put it into a wire mesh holder and put it into water and watch what happens. After about 15 minutes, you'll see that heavily tilled piece of soil just more or less fall apart. And all those individual soil particles will, will settle down to the bottom. The no-till uh, soil stays in place, loses very little bit of its soil. And so that gives you an idea of how not doing tillage and, and in addition to that, the, the cover crops are even going to aid that even more, keeping that soil structure in place. And that's just huge in terms of overall soil health and lessening the amount of erosion taking place. I think if you were on the fence about cover crops, you just sold it with that. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean that that is just a huge benefit to to again. We're talking about a systems management approach. We're we're doing soil management, which I mean we have to uh, have to admit that everything around us on this on this planet is really due to you know a couple inches of good healthy soil. 
Yeah. That's absolutely right. And it and I think most people are aware it takes hundreds of years just to form one inch of soil. So you know, anytime you lose uh, excessive amounts of it, it's going to pose a problem. Now, yes, nature allows erosion to take place. Nature or erosion by itself is is a natural thing, but it becomes a problem when it's excessive, and it doesn't take very much for erosion to become excessive. And once you lose that that good topsoil, uh, you're not going to have it back ever. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, definitely not in our lifetimes will we ever see that replenished. Uh, Dwayne, I was wondering in terms of we've talking kind of planting things late summer, early fall. We've talked about uh, things coming up in the spring. Could, could you explain a little bit more about timing for uh, like these different categories? Or I guess what are the different categories of cover crops? And then like what's our timing for planting these? Okay, I'll start out with the first two that probably a lot of people would uh, like to experiment with. Maybe at first, one would be the the tillage radishes, and if if the listeners are not familiar with that, it's not the type of radish you put in your your garden salad. It is a very rapidly growing radish. The the growth can get up to three feet just for the radish itself, not not to mention the root system. Uh, and that's all within a few month period. Now for something like that, because it does not overwinter, if you want to get the full benefit of it, you're going to have to plant it no later than, depending on where you're at in the state, uh, from about the, uh, oh, maybe around the 10th to 15th of September is the, the latest that you would want to put that type of, of cover crop in. Um, now that is again something that that's going to die out in the winter time if you're looking on the other hand at something like cereal rye that can be seeded really up until the first of november and it may not it'll germinate it may not look like a whole lot over winter but cereal rye is a very winter hardy crop um, you know, this winter that we've had, that it's nothing to cereal rye, and it will come on in the spring and grow very, very rapidly. And again, you you want to make sure that you uh, crimp it if that's what you're planning on doing at the point when it heads out, and it will head out in some cases uh, as early as the first of April if we have an early spring. Um, if we have a late spring, it may be late April, early May, but somewhere in that time frame. Um, any type of of cover crop that's not going to overwinter, uh, you're looking at an, obviously an earlier time frame to get the full benefit of it. Um, so those, most of those you're probably looking at early September seeding time. The ones that will overwinter, you have a, a later time frame because they're more uh, winter hardy. They may not do a whole lot in the fall. So those a lot of times like the cereal rye, uh, some folks may actually try wheat, although I haven't really heard of a lot of, of people doing that. Um, you could do it later on in the uh, in the growing season, like in September, October time frame. Uh, a few, some folks may want to do the some of the legumes. Now, for that, uh, something like a, a clover or something like that, you don't want to do that very late either. That you're probably looking at about an August time frame for that, because it needs to get a, a good, strong root system established on it before. Uh, the frost comes along. So, you know, again, kind of depending on the type of cover crop, we're looking at anywhere from a uh, you know, August to maybe first of November time frame. So there's some leeway in there, and 
you don't have to plant everything at once. You may be doing multiple cover crops depending on what the cover crops are. Kind of like what I did. I didn't do both the cereal rye and the radishes at the same time. There was a month leeway in between when those were seeded. Yeah, and I've I've noticed also with home gardeners is they tend uh, they tend to go more towards the winter kill cover crops just because um, they they kind of like the idea that nature takes care of it for them. And the, the tillage radish, I've actually seen that employed by our, our local uh, city here in Macomb, where they partnered with uh, WIU, Joel Groover, who you know, Dwayne. Oh, sure. Um, they had some oak trees that they wanted to plant and some really lousy soil. So these were going to be street trees. And what Joel did is he came in with some tillage radish, planted that for a year in tillage radish, and then they planted the trees in the tillage radish and I think he kept that cycle going for about two years and they had just phenomenal success building that what I call post-construction soil back to something a little bit more habitable for for plant material. Yeah, It's kind of amazing how quickly something like that can really really benefit soil and um, we're one of the things we're looking at in our field study is I did take some penetrometer readings last um, well before we started and then last spring and I'll probably continue to do that for the next year or two to see if we were getting some changes with that um, so hopefully we'll we'll see some pretty substantial changes in our at least that top few inches of, of soil here in the next year or so yeah and, and the the thing about tillage radish, and I really like using them, is they're just comically big. Uh, <laughs> a, a, like my kid will just want to get one out of the ground, and it's like, you know, if he's he's five years old, it's like half his height, you know, or or even more than that. It's just, and they think it's so cool, and, and it's a really good way. If you do have kids, you want to get them in the garden. That's another just one of those things that it's pretty pretty neat for a kid to see to be able to pull something like that out of the ground. Uh, so uh, you can always include, you know, kids as part of this this routine as well. Um, Dwayne, I'm I'm wondering when it comes to cover crops, is there any other maintenance? Do we need to irrigate them? Do we need to fertilize them? You know, what's what's the management of them while they're growing? Honestly, in really dry situations, that may be something that someone would want to consider, but. Um, you know, in most of these cases, you're you're allowing nature to to run its course. You know, these plants, these seeds, typically don't require a lot of extra maintenance in terms of moisture content or anything like that. So, uh, honestly, I, um, and and maybe you've got some some different situations. I my thought is just to to let nature take its course, and um, you know, if it's if it's a really dry year, yeah, it may not be. Uh, as thick in terms of plant density as what you would like, but uh, you'll still have have plants come up. Yeah, I'd say in, in my situation last year, um, was we kind of had a, a little bit of a dry end of our summer, and so I had to wind up just coming in with an overhead sprinkler in our garden. Uh, just a little bit of irrigation was all that it required for me. Otherwise, yeah, it, I'm just the same boat as you, Dwayne. I kind of let nature take its course. And in the cover crops that you've worked with in the past, have any kind of risen to the top as, oh, these are these are kind of my favorite. I really like just working with these. They're, they're maybe they're easier, or they just perform better than others. Well, I, I honestly, at this point, the the cereal rye, I think, as far as not only in a, 
uh, ag setting, but probably a garden setting too, in terms of of ease of uh, of seeding and. Um, yeah, like you say, there may be some folks that don't like the overwintering aspect, but just the the overall uh, potential for weed control the following year and um, those types of things. It's uh, it's a pretty easy and forgiving plant to to put in. Uh, the, the tillage radishes uh, they're very short in terms of their their growth span, but they they can do very well. I have not worked with oats yet or any of the vetches or anything, I think those would still work. And according to the study out in Maryland, they, they do a very good job of weed control once they're uh, crimped the following year. But um, uh, those are a couple that I would still, I, I personally have not worked with. Uh, supposedly they work well, but I really don't have any personal experience with the oats and the vetches. And Dwayne, do you have anything else you wanted to add about cover crops that we haven't quite covered yet? I, I would just ask folks if they're wanting to get into that to, to just experiment with it. And uh, like you say, it's a, it's a new system. It's a new mindset that people have to think about uh, not having to work up that ground, not having to, to keep it tilled constantly for the weed control. Uh, you know, think more about how nature does does its thing. And the more that that can be mimicked, uh, I think the, the better overall uh, your soil will be, and hopefully, uh, your your garden will be. You know, I think we have to look a little bit down the road in terms of potential insects and those types of things. But um, um, you know, those are again things that that have to be considered when you're looking at a new system as well. And um, what would you say if people have questions about this more and they want to get in touch with you? What is a good way to contact you? Uh, probably the easiest would just be to email me, and my email address is my last name, friend, F-R-I-E-N-D, at illinois.edu. Excellent. Well, Dwayne, thank you very much for joining us today on the Good Growing Podcast. And again, um, I will put Dwayne's contact information in the show notes. So you are more than welcome to get in touch with Dwayne. you got questions about cover crops, and we're trying to spread the word about good soil management it really literally is the foundation for for gardening and growing and as always uh, thank you for listening and keep on growing